African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. You tune to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance, I'm Benjamin Mushatama. I'll be with you until 12 o'clock Central African time. And you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa today. Despite a near worldwide ban on the sale of elephant, elephant ivory, rather tens of thousands of African and Asian elephants continue to be slaughtered every year for their tasks. So that's what we'll be looking at today, especially the fact that uh, there's a huge CITES conference that will be taking place place in a few months time so we'll be looking at that but before we get into that story let's get our news so we've got Joalane Tulu today Thank you, Benjamin. Top stories. The Sawa Tswane ANC region to meet with local branches to understand their dissatisfaction with the mayoral candidate. Tunisia extends for another month a nationwide state of emergency imposed across the North African country following a deadly bomb attack in November last year. And finally, a 19-year-old British charged for trying to kill the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump. Good morning. The Tswane ANC region says they will be meeting with local branches to understand their dissatisfaction with the mayoral candidate. On Sunday afternoon, one person was shot dead near the Tswane Event Centre over their announcement of former Minister and National Assembly House Chair Togo Didiza as ANC mayoral candidate for Tswane. Government has meanwhile appealed for calm and for differences to be resolved peacefully. ANC Tswane region spokesperson Debo Khojwala. It's not a coincidence. It's uh, something if, uh, that we have to uh, read and confront. If there are complaints or discontentment around the announcement, it's something that will become apparent today. When we are in touch, uh, we get in touch with the branches of the ANC uh, in one way or the other. Whether or not we're going to call the branches directly, we're going to be speaking to our zones. Uh, who then uh, communicate with the branches, we'll get it to the bottom of uh, the fact. Tunisia has extended for another month a nationwide state of emergency imposed across the North African country following a deadly bomb attack in November last year. According to a statement from the president's office, the decision was made in consultation with government and parliamentary officials. The state of emergency empowers the authorities to prohibit gatherings and strikes that might fuel unrest. It also permits the officials to close entertainment venues and censor the press. Paris Prosecutors have opened a preliminary investigation into allegations that French troops beat up two people in the Central African Republic while other soldiers looked on. The probe was opened last week into voluntary group violence as well as sequestration and failing to help persons in danger. The French Defence Ministry announced early this month that five soldiers were suspended from France's Sangri force deployed in the poor former French colony to quell sectarian violence. The Sangri force is already the subject of three investigations 
investigations into allegations of sexually abusing children. UN peacekeepers also face sex abuse allegations. A 19-year-old British man has been charged for trying to grab a police officer's gun at a Donald Trump rally in Las Vegas in a bid bid to kill the presumptive Republican presidential nominee. According to a complaint filed in the federal court in Nevada, Michael Sandford tried to disarm the officer at Saturday's rally at the Treasure Island Casino before being overpowered. The young man told a Secret Service agent after his arrest that he had driven from California to Las Vegas to kill Trump and had been in a race a day earlier to learn to shoot as he had never fired a gun before. The prosecutor's office said Sanford will not be released as he was considered dangerous and represented a flight risk. And finally, fighting has broken out in the capital of the Central African Republic, Bangui. Witnesses say the sound of machine guns and heavier weapons can be heard across the city. Insecurity persists in the CAR months after President Faustin Archange Taudara was sworn in after winning a disputed election in March. The vote was designed to draw a line under intercommunal and interreligious violence in the CAR that began in 2013. Recapping the top stories, the Sawa 20 ANC to meet with local branches to understand their dissatisfaction with a mayoral candidate. Tunisia extends for another month a nationwide state of emergency imposed across the North African country following a deadly bomb attack in November last year. And finally, a 19-year-old British charged for trying to kill the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us on DSTV. We're now on the channel uh, 802, and remember, on shortwave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And remember, you can also join us uh, on uh, our Twitter handle at uh, African Dialogue or at Channel Africa 1. That's where you'll find us there. We want to hear your thoughts, and today we're looking at the big subject, the environment story looking at uh, the sale of ivory as well and we know that there's a big conference that's still coming up in a few months time which is the conference of the parties which is the 17th meeting that looks at environmental issues now despite a near worldwide ban on the sale of elephant ivory tens of thousands of african and asian elephants continue to be slaughtered every year for their tasks every year tens of thousands of elephants are brutally killed for their ivory 
between 2008 and 2013, the estimated death toll ranged between 30,000 and 50,000 elephants per year. So that's a big number there. And we know those numbers are increasing over time. Despite all this, there are several countries that want to sell their ivory stocks and those that are opposing the lifting of a ban on ivory trade. Furthermore, South Africa is going to be hosting the 17th meeting of its Conference of the Parties in Johannesburg. We're now joined by Palam Jones, who's joining us once again, the chairman of South Africa's Private Rhino Owners Association. And for the first time, we're joined by Ian Mitchler, who's a member of the Conservation Action Trust and also a journalist. Thank you both for giving us your time. Come, let's start with you, Ian, in terms of where the conversations are moving before we move on to the issue of CITES itself. You know, the conversation has been moving in terms of what we've I've just mentioned away from trying to regulate the sale of ivory stocks. What are your thoughts in terms of the trends that we're seeing with the conversation happening around ivory? Well, I think, first of all, thank you for having, uh, having me on the program. Um, so I and uh, the um, group that I represent, Conservation Action Trust, stand squarely on the position that uh, legalizing trade in wildlife or wildlife body parts is no way to solve a poaching crisis. Um, And that same um, position stands for whether we're talking about elephants, um, rhino, lions, um, vicunas, pangolins, whatever the species may be. Mm. So... Uh, we would agree with the current position of CITES, and we would certainly agree with regards to Rhino that the South African government have made the right decision by not putting a, a trade proposal forward for the upcoming meeting. And um, you know, I think that the, the, the evidence is out there in uh, sufficient um, position to to show that. Um, by legalizing trade, you are not going to stop the poaching. And in fact, what you may well do is you'll inflame demand and you just provide a um, ready-made platform for the illegal market mm. to launder their gains. So mm. um, it's not worth taking the risk. Mm. Let me come to you, um, Perlman. I know that the last time we spoke, uh, we really touched on this a little slightly on this but we were more looking at the trend of the killings the idea of sell, selling ivory st- uh, stocks uh, do you contain or main, maybe maintain the same stance uh, that uh, Ian just highlighted as we picked off our program Good morning and thank you for the opportunity um, no I totally disagree with what um, Ian conveys there um, we have a situation where we have a ban in place on um, ivory as well as on uh, um, rhino horn. Ask yourself, first of all, the question, has it worked? Well, no, it hasn't. Um, under the 1977 Psyche's ban, we've seen a catastrophic collapse of um, rhino populations, despite hundreds of millions of dollars, euro, and you name it, in uh, being spent attempting to protect and preserve these animals. Mm. Under that CITES ban, we've seen 23 countries lose their um, entire populations. Um, we have some five countries with marginal populations. Uganda, 
sadly has 13 rhino left, uh, Tanzania, about 60 to 80, um, etc. So when mm. we talk about evidence, there is no uh, conclusive evidence out there. To the opposite, we have seen uh, campaigns which talk about demand reduction, education, etc., which are wonderful, and we all support that. Is it taking the pressure off the, uh, uh, the uh, rhino populations? Not at all. You're aware of the tragic killing of that young APU chap up in Bella Bella, uh, Wazani Baloy, mm. and that is indicative of, of, of the process and the aggression that we are dealing with. So it is a failed strategy, and we can no longer continue with what it can only be deemed as totally an idiotic uh, strategy. Mm. Coming back to you, Ian, like Perlman is highlighting there that the current strategy is not really working. We're seeing the problem continue. Maybe we need an environment where we can actually regulate this trade. Well, you know, again, I, <laughs> you know, this, this is the situation we're sure. in now. We're in a very polarized position where it, it really just goes backwards and forwards. Sure. Um, I, I completely, again, disagree. I think Pelham is incorrect to point out that the bans don't work. Um, because certain countries may not be affected in implementing their laws or laws does not mean that a certain policy um, is ineffective or does not work. Um, quite to the contrary, I can point to the um, 14 years of minimal rhino poaching um, in South Africa, for example, from 94 right through to 2007, when a whole variety of factors were put in place that ensured the ban on trading was, was effective, and we had a complete recovery in our population. So I think to say that the, the, the ban does not work is, is, is incorrect or it's, it's only half of mm. the situation. In addition to that, we know very clearly that a ban on the trade in ivory in the, the end of the 80s was very, very effective and an instrumental part of um, stopping the uh, really vicious poaching crisis of the 70s and the 80s on elephants. Mm. So mm. Um, it's, it's completely um, only half the situation. Really, what, what we're sitting with now is this polarized debate, um, it also boils down to, uh, at the end of the day, I think, a philosophical approach as well as, as to how we deal with the environment. And um, mm. when you look at rhino and you look at elephant and the site situation, we know the, the world is not going to allow a trade in rhino horn. Sure. Um, so there's a, there's a few pockets in South Africa who are proposing this. Hmm. And um, so why are we wasting our time and our strategies and our energies on supporting a program that is, that is only, um, you know, wished for by, by a handful of people hmm. when, in fact, we could be focusing on, on a strategy that, that the world buys into? Hmm. And it doesn't mean I agree with Pelham and I agree with the private rhino owners and everyone that, that the situation is not good on the ground. Uh, but we're dealing with sophisticated criminal elements here. Mm. Um, so, you know, by, by all we, but if, and if we can't deal with that without a, uh, a, a legal trade, can you imagine the, the, what the issues that we'll um, have to deal with when we do allow a legal trade? Sure, it will compound uh, the situation mm. even, even, even 
much greater extent. Mm. I'll bring that back to uh, Pearlham. I need to take a quick break because I think you are highlighting very interesting um, perspectives in terms of if we can't deal with the issues now, when we do open uh, the whole market, uh, how can we, how will we be able to actually control the situation? Are we not exacerbating things in that regard? And uh, when we come back, we'll speak to Dr. Coleman O'Cridian, who is uh, from the Worldwide Fund for Nature, and he's a wildlife trade analyst and hear his thoughts. The conversation is polarized right now. What are your thoughts? Do you think that we should open the market for the sale of uh, ivory? Give us your thoughts. Remember, you can tweet us at African Dialogue or you can SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or email us at info at channelafrica.org. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatam. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And we last until uh, uh, 12 o'clock. We usually bring in big subject matters that have to do with the African continent. The latest developments when it comes to this particular story of the sale of ivory following a major anti-ivory campaign by WWF Hong Kong, uh, the city's chief executive of Hong Kong, uh, C.Y. Li Wong, announced that the government is actively exploring phasing out the domestic ivory trade, and the government is set to strengthen efforts to tackle the illegal ivory trade. So that's an interesting uh, development there that's coming out there from Hong Kong. And also joining us now, we have an analyst from WWF who is a wildlife trade analyst, Dr. Coleman O'Cridian. Uh, thank you for giving us your time, Doctor. Thank you very much for having me on the program. Now, we're having a polarized environment in our conversation uh, with our two guests. We've got Pelham Jones, the chairman of South Africa's Private Wine Association, who's for actually uh, the actually selling of uh, ivory and regulating that environment because he says if that happens, we can control it more. And Ian Mishler says, hey, if you open the markets, if we can't regulate it now and can't control it now while we're trying to actually uh, minimize the situation with the ban, how will we control it? when we do open the market. What are your thoughts on on this debate, Doctor? Well, first of all, I'd like to say I have a lot of sympathy for the private landowners and uh, owners of rhino herds in South Africa at the moment. I do understand the situation they find themselves in and how their security costs are rising. Um, That said, I, I understand the logic of their position in favor of being allowed to trade but I don't think that the that what they're proposing will actually work, not for any reasons to do with them or to do with South Africa, but simply because of the lack of government governance and enforcement uh, in the consumer countries and the likely consumer countries. Mm. At the moment, the main consumer country that's driving the poaching crisis is Vietnam. Rhino horn 
trade is domestic rhino horn trade is illegal in that country, but it's flourishing, and that's largely because of corruption and because government officials are among the main clientele. So uh, we do believe that at the very best, legalizing rhino horn trade would not make things any better, and it could potentially make things worse. In order for it to happen, it would need a huge investment and governance support all along the trade chain. It's not simply a question of whatever situation pertains in South Africa. With elephants, it's a bit different. There have been one-off sales since the ban in 1989. Uh, the effect of these one-off sales is disputed, but the overwhelming uh, expert opinion is that they have not contributed, to, especially the 2008 sale, did not contribute to the current poaching crisis, mm. which had already started even before the sale took place. But on the other hand, nor did it fulfill the expectations of some advocates of ivory trade that this would knock the bottom out of the illegal market and that poaching would go down. Mm. And it just shows that we have to be very careful about drawing conclusions um, about what what bans achieve and don't achieve. Mm. Uh, Paulham, your thoughts there on just the complexity of the situation, especially that main concern there of that commitment uh, of uh, actually having some form of law enforcement, especially in those countries whereby uh, the uh, horns and the tusks are going into, that seems to be where the main challenge is. Yeah, that's okay. one of I the biggest like issues, but it must also be said in relation to uh, elephants mm. and to some extent to rhinos that the source countries uh, aren't carrying their share of the burden. Mm. I'm not speaking of South Africa, sure. but I think everyone knows that you know one of the main conduits of the illegal rhino horn trade and to some extent of the elephant trade as well is Mozambique. Mm. And I've been to Mozambique. I know they really are trying. I think they're starting to get to grips with the problem now, but it's taken a long time. In the meantime, Kenya and Tanzania um, are major leakage points for uh, illegal ivory leaving Africa through mm. Zanzibar and through Mombasa. And again, you know, this uh, underlines the point that you must read into what people do as well as what they say, because Kenya is certainly the leading voice in Africa in favour so. of let me let me put that question to you, Pelham, as I was trying today. Uh, Pelham, your thoughts there around what Dr. Coleman uh, Creodane is highlighting there? I'd like to give a little bit more background before I come to, to, to answering that question. Sure. Um, you know, first of all, one has to ask the question, do bans work? And it doesn't matter whether we talk about drugs, alcohol, prohibition, um, the weapons uh, uh, supply, and so it carries on. Generally, no. Uh, it, it, it is almost impossible. We all know the billions spent by the U.S. on drug enforcement, but yet I can go to the smallest hick town and get any variety of drugs that, that one could, could, could imagine. When one talks now about pockets, well, uh, you know, the, 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 the rhino owners in South Africa own 33% of the national herd, that's some 6,200 animals. That's more rhino than the rest of Africa combined. So when we talk about small communities and pockets, that's a very, very misleading statement. We are a very serious role player in rhino conservation, and we need to be um, uh, uh, listened to in terms of decision-making. I find it offensive when we hear foreign uh, Western nations trying to push 
Western policies down into African conservation uh, uh, challenges. The fact that we have had up until now an exclusive, not an inclusive, but an exclusive Mm. conservation strategy is where a lot of our problems come from. We need to destroy the old colonial conservation rule book and rewrite one which is inclusive and takes in the, 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 the needs of communities, not in terms of just public relations puffery, but in terms of job creation, etc. Mm. All of that, however, costs money, a lot of it. Now, Rhino happened to be the golden goose that could lay, lay the egg, bringing a lot of conservation benefit, not only to the species, but obviously to communities as well. We, we uh, uh, hear these stories about lack of control. We have presented a strategy whereby our rhino horns can be centralized, can be controlled, where they, we guarantee there will be no leakage from all of those uh, horns put into the, into the centralized silo system. We're able to eliminate any blood horns entering the, uh, the system. There is no, 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 no laundering mm. of horns, etc., so as Ian correctly said, what is interesting, we have this polarization. The tragedy is here. We have the no-trade uh, grouping who own no rhino and have very little invested in rhino conservation. And many of these individuals have very uh, limited CVs in conservation uh, history. Mm. Yet we, the, cons- the rhino conservation community, are absolutely unified in our need to find alternative solutions because the ban simply has not worked. We have to look at at, uh, other methods Mm. which can be self-funding. We should not be funding uh, African conservation projects through NGO begging bowls. It should be done through viable, self-sustaining, self-viable conservation projects. So, Ian, let me bring you back in. What's your thoughts? (laughs) Well, I think... uh, I think it's disingenuous for Pelham to claim that uh, people who oppose uh, trade have got no interest or no awareness about conservation. I mean, that's a completely ludicrous statement. Uh, over 75% or about 70 to 75% of the rhino are owned um, by the state. Uh, every single conservation agency, safari operator, ecotourism company has a vested interest in maintaining the security and the survival of those animals. Um, I, I'm aware of a number of people, private rhino owners who are members of his association who do not support trade. So for him to imply that the um, only people who should be entitled to this, this debate are private rhino owners in South Africa is completely ludicrous. Um, and I think, I, yes, I, w- I would completely agree with what the doctor from Cytesis has said is that uh, we're in a situation here where um, a a up of trade, legal trade, is unlikely to be um, properly policed, um, both on this continent and in the buying states, in China, Vietnam, and so on. And we just simply cannot afford to take the risk. Mm. Uh, Let's deal with this issue as as a crime issue, and um, let's focus on, on every single other aspect that we agree on. And Pelham and I have appeared on a number of pro- programs and, and platforms before, and we agree. 95% we, we're actually in agreement with. Mm. Let's take this issue of trade off the table. Uh, let's focus on all the other issues. Mm. Let's support societies. Let's make it sure that the, the ban is enforced properly. 
and uh, we will be able to lick this issue. Rhino, mm. I don't, I don't really think we're going to go extinct in, in our lifetime, for sure. Let me, we let can lick this problem. Sure, Ian, let me give uh, Dr. Cridian uh, final sentiments because we have to let him go, and then when we come back, we're going to look at mm. the importance of CITES itself and maybe inform our uh, guests a little bit about what we can expect there. Uh, Dr. Cridian, in terms of your thoughts of uh, your final sentiments and the importance of uh, uh, the upcoming 17th meeting of the Conference of the Parties, which will be held in South Africa, how important is that gathering, especially in light of what we also discussing today? We think it's a really crucial gathering and one of our concerns is that uh, these discussions on legal trade or or further curtailment of existing bans in rhino or or ivory could suck all of the oxygen out of the room when the real problem is governance in a number of range countries and consumer and transit countries, especially in relation to elephants. And we're talking about countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Tanzania, Vietnam, to some extent China, Hong Kong, Philippines, and so on. And this is where CITES needs to focus its efforts. And I know from sore experience at previous CITES conferences, apart from the last one, that if we spend our time in a divisive debate on legal trade issues, which have very little prospect of getting a two-thirds majority, then we will not have the time to address these critical issues. Mm, well, thank you for giving us your time. That's Dr. Coleman O'Cridian there, who is uh, from the uh, WWF, uh, and uh, he is the Wildlife Trade Analyst. And uh, thank you for giving us your time this. Uh, we have to let him go there, but we'll stay with uh, uh, Pelham Jones, the chairman of South Africa's Private Rhino Owners Association, and Ian uh, uh, Mitchler, who is a member of the Conservation Action Trust and also a, a journalist. And we'll continue on uh, the issue of why it's important to have this conference of the parties especially now that it's being uh, convened right here in Johannesburg it will take place I think in two months time or so Um, if I'm not mistaken it will take from uh, not two months time but from the 24th of September to the 5th of October 2016 so when we come back we'll speak about the importance of that conference Change Your Game is a program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we discuss the real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Of course, I'm your host, Nastasia Arenta. When one looks at fostering a culture of entrepreneurship, we have to start at the beginning. The aim of the company is to favorably impact the work-life balance, and to improve overall quality of life. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Currently, you are listening to African Dialogue, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama. We're about to wrap up this uh, conversation with our two guests, uh, a very, very much uh, energetic conversation with the different viewpoints coming from it. And uh, let me start this part with you, Ian, before I move on to uh, Pelham in terms 
terms of the importance of CITES, which is the 17th uh, Conference of the Parties. Uh, tell us how important it is right there. We heard from Dr. Coleman Dokridane saying that, hey, let's not only just uh, uh, have a space where there's a lot of divisive conversations, but we need to take things forward. Looking at the numbers, the situation is bad. So how important of uh, how, how important is this conference? Well, I think that, um, you know, CITES is much maligned by a number of quarters, and I, as a journalist in the past, have also, um, you know, picked holes in, in, in what they, they do today. But I think let's, let's, uh, keep in mind that would we rather have CITES than not? I, I would 100% far rather have CITES. Mm-hmm. And let's also remember that when it was, uh, formulated and drawn up in the 70s, of course, it was a completely different environment with regards to conservation and pressures on wildlife, uh, wildlife trade, uh, you know, that pertains today. So what I do think is, is important that is, is that we, we now start looking at ways of possibly reforming CITES or modifying or altering its mandates and, and its responsibilities to fit in with the, the current um, climate we find ourselves in. Um, but given that we, we, we have it in its present form, I think the, this conference is important because it is a, 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 a venue or an avenue through which these issues can be thrashed out. And so um, despite the shortcomings, um, I think that um, it, it will hopefully be a very positive um, event and um, I'd rather see it than not see it. Hmm. Um, your thoughts there, Peter? Um, CITES unfortunately has become quite a controversial organization, somewhat polluted by radical animal rights um, organizations. And what we find a little bit concerning on the African continent is how we're having Western conservation um, strategies and policies being forced onto us in terms of, you know, what we believe is best for our, our needs. And um, whilst it is an, a critically important um, environment for all countries to be able to express debate um, and, and put forward various motions, we must not lose sight of what CITES actually stands for, and that is that of the principle of protection and sustainable utilization. And unfortunately, when you start to have an organization as important as CITES, being now heavily influenced by these animal rights organizations, then it does not bode, bode well for conservation. You just have to look at the disastrous situation in Kenya, where as a result of influence on the Kenya Wildlife Services, um, on a non-sustainable uh, utilization principle, you're seeing a collapse of, of, uh, of populations. Compared to South Africa, mm. which has a constitution which respects sustainable utilization and a flourishing game industry. Mm. Well, uh, what's the way forward in terms of this conversation? Because for me, uh, I would want us to get to a point where we find a resolution in terms of a compromise. Um, where could we find a compromise, especially because we are at a place where uh, everyone seems to be having different, um, uh, different points and different uh, uh, views in terms of this one issue? 
Well, I concur with what Ian said earlier on. And he and I, as he said, have debated this matter often. And 90% of our concerns are common. So let's agree on those 90% and and look shoulder to shoulder as to how we can find a solution. And that has to do with things like better law enforcement, etc. And I know the South African government and other governments are busy working on that. Where we have difficulty here is this aspect of funding. We hear about um, possible donations coming in through various systems and methods of of taxes and so on. But the reality is that uh, uh, conservation is costing us between 1.2 and 2 billion rand a year. So um, we we have to find somehow a, a funding mechanism to protect our, our, our wildlife species, because it isn't only rhino, it's pangolin, it's elephant, it's everything. But it must be done through sustainable utilization and not through NGO begging bowls. And mm. that is where the likes of Ian and myself have to find a long-term viable solution. Stand uni- unified on the areas of common concern and look to ways and means of, of finding the desperately needed funding um, that, that is required. Mm. Ian, your thoughts sitting on the table together with the likes of Pelham and actually yeah. getting things actually, uh, the, the ball rolling? Well, first of all, I just want to make the point, again, to, to refute Pelham's insinuation that anyone who opposes trade or you know, his opinion is an animal rightist and, or that, for example, the CITES Forum doesn't have conservationists from across the spectrum mm. involved in their decision-making. I mean, that's a completely ludicrous statement, Pilum. So just to, to, to rectify that mm. is that, um, you know, there are many, 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 many people involved in these debates, and they, they come from right across the spectrum. Um, and animal rights just happens to be one and a very worthy part of the debate. Mm. But, uh, you know, anyway, so let's move on. Yes, so so myself, I'm part of a small group that are involved in a thing called The Plan. And what we're in the process of doing is offering a third uh, option to this polarized debate on, and and the rhino issue has become the focus. So again, agreeing with Pelham, yes, we, 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 there's about 90% of of the issues we agree on. So what The Plan um, uh, aims to do is take the issue of um, finding monetary um, support for looking after private rhino stocks. And mm. if we can find an alternative funding mechanism, which we believe we have a good chance of doing through the far, far greater ecotourism sector, the photographic sector, um, th- that we can get money from that sector that can go towards helping private rhino owners pay for their security of the for, of the rhino. And 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 as as the gentleman said earlier, that is a, an extremely um, serious concern for everyone, whether you own rhino on your own property or not. It's a very valid issue that needs to be addressed. And so the plan is trying to bring NGOs, government agencies, private sector companies together to form a fund that will be able to raise the money to take care of their funding requirements mm. to look after their rhino. Once that happens, then we should address the main concern of theirs, which we all disagree with, and then trade should be able to go off the table as far as they're concerned as well. Um, and then, of course, what we hope to do is extend that fund to all other species as well, whether it's lions, pangolins, or elephants. So 
We are. We, we're in the process. Myself, Colin Bell, Ramfant Malheber, Dr. Davi Ritt are all involved under the Institute of Accountability in a program called The Plan. And we hope that within the next few months we'll be able to give greater details as to how it will work. Mm. Well, that's how I have to wrap it up there. Uh, it seems like it's still polarized because uh, the likes of those that you disagree with, Ian, like uh, Perlem, are not part of that particular process. So, well, I think we need to still talk about this because it's a, it's a very long-going conversation. Thank you to both of our guests, Ian uh, Mishla, who's a member of the Conservation Action Trust and a journalist. Thank you as well to Pelham Jones, who's the chairman of South Africa's Private Rhino Owners Association. Earlier on, we had... Dr. Coleman Ocridio Dane, who is uh, the WWF Wildlife Trade Analyst. As you can hear there, we're letting everyone go. Thank you for your participation. But let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Liqua, Igreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Khalahati have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. I am the grandchild of the warrior men and women that incense Kukuni land. The patriots at Tetrayon and Pepu took to battle. The soldiers Mushweshwe and Gungunyane taught never to dishonor the cause of freedom. Being part of all of these people, and in the knowledge that none dares contest that assertion, I shall claim that I'm an African.
Good morning, I'm Wisani Matebula with your Economics News. South African mobile operator MTN says it's confident that its new boss, Rob Shooter, will bring experience and new insights to the job. MTN on Monday named Shooter, its current Vodafone European cluster head, as its new chief executive. Shooter will be replacing Sifiso Dabengwa, who resigned last November after Nigeria imposed a multi billion dollar fine on MTN. Amina Akram reports. Shata is an accountant with experience in managing risk. He will be facing a huge challenge ahead of him as he takes his new job at MTN. The company is currently in search of new revenue streams. This as tough competition and tariff increases have hit their profit margins in some of its key markets. Credit ratings agency Moody's says Steinhoff International's acquisition of a stake in British retailer Poundland is good for the South African firm's credit profile. The owner of Conforama, Europe's second largest furniture group, last week said it had bought 23% of No Frills retailer Poundland. Moody's says an investment in Poundland will give Steinhoff an annual return of roughly 10%. Global miner Rio Tinto says it has appointed Chris Salisbury as head of its iron ore business, replacing veteran Andrew Harding. Salisbury, currently acting head of Rio Tinto's copper and coal unit, will take up the role on July 2nd. Rio Tinto also appointed Arnaud Soirat as head of its new copper and diamonds unit, Stephen McIntosh as growth and innovation executive, and Joanne Farrell as group executive health, safety and environment. Nigerian Naira has slumped 30% against the dollar after the central bank removed its currency peg. This is an effort to alleviate the chronic foreign currency shortages, choking growth in Africa's biggest economy. The central bank sold 530 million US dollars for 280 Naira per dollar at a special auction and later sold a further 886.5 million US dollars directly on the interbank market at 281 to 285 per naira. Zimbabwe state-owned diamond miner has produced 513,000 karats since March when it started operations. The government evicted all diamond mining firms in the Marange Falls in the eastern Zimbabwe, saying their licenses had expired. ZCD acting as chief executive Rij Nyashanu told a parliamentary committee that the company was mining from two concessions. Financial indicators right now, the dollar at 14.92 South African rands, at 10.75 Botswana Pula and 10.89 against the Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Commodities gold is at $1,286, platinum at $990 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $50.37 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now.
Well, it's time for us to get our sports fix. Zozo Figilelingwati standing by to give us uh, that update. In our sports update this hour, kicking off with football news. After a minor controversy over plans for the burial of late soccer legend and coach Stephen Okechuku Chinedukeshu, his first daughter Jennifer Keshi is in the country from the United States to coordinate the burial plans with members of the larger Keshi family. With the federal government through the sports ministry and the Nigeria Football Federation, the NFF, showing a lot of interest in the burial plans, Family sources say the only controversy at the moment is whether Casey should be buried in Benin City, his adopted home, or Ela, his ancestral state. There is also a tentative burial date of the 28th of July that has not been totally agreed upon. On Stephen Casey's junior, the source declared that he is actually Casey's adopted son and will be accorded all rights due to him. Bafana Bafana only have 15 players to choose from for Wednesday's Kosafa Cup semi-final against Swaziland at the same New York Stadium in Windhoek, Namibia. This follows the decision to send home Gwanda Mgonyama, who is injured, Pumlani Njangasi, who suffers from ulcers, and Gif Mutupa, who will be serving a suspension after he was sent off in the quarter-final against Lesotho on Saturday. Speaking before the training session, assistant coach Owen Dagama says, since they are thin up front, the best option could be starting with Tabiso Kutumela and have Menzi Masugu from the bench. Masugu will play. Um, Kutumela is there. Judas Masiamed is there. Um, but we just believe Menzi might not be strong enough to finish the game at this level. We've got to build him. And um, do we start with him or do we bring him on? So we've got to be very, very, um, we've got to make uh, important decisions in, in, in that direction because you don't want to get weaker. You want to get stronger. If you start with Menzi, their defense, their plays are still fresh. So, you know, they'll handle it much better than in the second half when they're tired a little bit and when they they start getting confused as to what's happening. So he's the type of player, even in Senegal, who could come up and just dismantle their defense easily. We we, we will go through the training session today. We'll analyze tonight. Let's put all our our heads together. Tomorrow we'll have a a final training session and um, then we'll make a decision. We do have options, but n- not much. I think we've got, if you take the two goalkeepers away, the two players who went back, you've got Gift who went back. Mm-hmm. We've got 15 players to choose from in field. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got four subs. Mm-hmm. So we've got to make sure that the bench is also good, mm-hmm. that the bench can, can change things if things are not happening. So we've got to be very smart and clever and, and, and try and think uh, you know, through a situation like that. England finished second in Group B at the Euro 2016 after they drew with Slovakia and Wales beat Russia to take top spot. England, who made six changes from the win over Wales, failed to turn their superiority into goals as Jami Vardy had a short save went through on goal. Slovakia's Robert Mack saw an effort scrambled away after a Chris Smalling mistake before Dele Ali had an effort cleared off the line at the other end. England will now play either Austria, Hungary, Iceland and Portugal. In rugby news, the junior Springboks' hopes of reaching the final of the World Rugby Under-20 Championship lay in the Tatars after they were thrashed 39-17 by tournament host England. 
David Theron's charges never managed to get out of the blocks and it was England who dominated proceedings from the start, scoring six tries in total, of which five came in the first half for a 31-3 lead at the break. In the second half, the Gina Box managed two tries of their own through winger Edwil van der Merwe and fullback Kevin Bosch, but it was too late, too little, as England coasted to victory. In athletics, lastly, the 400-meter world champion Wade van Niekerk is adamant that pressure will not affect him at the Rio Olympics in Brazil in August. Well, as a sports person, pressure is part of the game. Um, whether you're the best or not, um, there's going to be pressure. I mean, last year I wasn't close to being being the, the champion before world champions, but I had pressure and I had nerves and I had stresses. So it's part of the game I accepted. Um, it's part of the challenges that we have to go through as, as athletes. But I mean, as long as I stay um, true to, to what what I have in my heart and what I want to achieve, then, then that's enough for me. My goal is try to get consistency and growth. And when I speak about consistency, um, it's repeating of what I've done last year. And, and growth is obviously in my times as an athlete. Luckily, I had the opportunity to improve my 100-meter time this year. And the same with the 2 and the 4 this year. So if I can grow in that aspect, then I'm more than happy. That's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, we want to hear from you, so do join us on our Channel Africa page on Twitter at uh, Channel Africa 1. It's the number one at the end, at Channel Africa 1. That's where you can find us on our Twitter handle. We also have an African Dialogue handle, at African Dialogue, or you can SMS us your thoughts on plus 2779-695-7930. We want to hear from you. What you think about our programming another way you can contact us is via email info at channelafrica.org is the email address and uh, thank you to those who are listening to us on america from america rather uh, they're calling us on 605 and they can listen to us via their uh, telephonic function well that's how we wrap it up uh, from me benjamin mushatam until next time god bless
television.